Isaiah chapter 57. Let's get spiritual here tonight. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be in uh, verse 1 and 2 to open, and then uh, we'll be looking at the entire chapter, Lord willing, throughout the service tonight. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. Turn to the end of the chapter. Look at the very last verse of the end of the chapter. Actually, the last two verses. The Bible says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace saith my God to the wicked. In the beginning of the chapter, we see that the righteous rest in their bed at the end of the life. And then at the end of the chapter, we see that the wicked find no rest. They find no rest. The title of the Bible study out of Isaiah 57 is this, God's promise of peace. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight as we open the pages of this chapter and then, Lord, we look at other complementary passages throughout that you would help us to see where your unrest, uh, there's unrest in our life, a lack of peace in our life, and you would help guide us to it. Lord God, help us, show us. And Lord, uh, help the Bible study tonight to be an encouragement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this uh, I like to always begin our Bible studies by giving a little bit of a history here. And uh, Israel is, uh, be, this is written by Isaiah to the nation of Judah, right before their captivity into Babylon. And if you know much about Judah, you know that they were steeped in idolatry. They were steeped in uh, uh, pagan worship. They were steeped in even offering up their own children to Molech. There was a lot of wickedness that was going on right before Babylon would come in and take them. And Isaiah is writing to them to try to wake them up and show them just how wicked they are. And let me just say this about the topic of peace and uh, tonight. Uh, God hates our pride. He hates it. He, he despises our pride because pride elevates us higher than we ought to be. And uh, the Christian life is about learning how to dispel pride from our life and rather uh, be clothed in humility and known not by what we have, but rather... Uh, uh, just a spirit of humility. I think back to the pastor that uh, was uh, uh, of the church where I got saved as a four-year-old boy. His name was Charles Williams, and Charles Williams was a uh, grew up on a cotton farm and uh, was a young man who was raised in the hot fields of Mississippi. And dad would drop him off in the morning with along with his brothers, and he'd pick cotton. And uh, he grew up and uh, became the pastor of that church. One of the most humble men that I ever knew. Uh, extremely meek. He was out soul winning for 10, 15, 20 hours a day. And if you took offense with something Brother Williams said, boy, he'd just come to you apologizing. Just instantly apologizing uh, to you, wanting to make that right. And uh, just a meek and humble soul. I know that as a young man living in the home with my Parents, we we would uh, we moved to several different ministries, but we worked under Brother Williams until he retired, and we were in that ministry for ten years. And 
Uh, I know that when we got to working under some other pastors, my dad would reflect back to how humble Brother Williams was in comparison to some of the other pastors that we had worked under. You know what pride does? Pride strips us of peace. It strips us of peace. The Bible says that God resisteth the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You know, when, when God resists you, when God pushes you away, when God wants nothing to do with you, there is no peace in your life. You can't know peace apart from God. So there's unrest that's living in your heart. If there's unrest that's settled deep down inside and you're tossing and turning and, and, and you just can't seem to find traction deep down inside, uh, God has removed His peace from your heart. I was reading a book recently and it, uh, it, it wasn't talking about peace per se, but it made this point and I, I tend to agree with it. It said that uh, the, the Holy Spirit of God, how He works with us and how God communicates with us through, uh, first he communicates us through the Word of God. And when our line is out of line with what's right, first we have the Bible to get us back in line. And then uh, when we ignore God's Word, then uh, he uses his Holy Spirit's conscious, our conscious in the Holy Spirit, and he works on our life. He works on us. And when we neglect the promptings of the Holy Spirit to make those changes, then he sends a preacher or another Christian into our life who maybe comes and looks at us and says, hey, this is wrong. This is not right. This ought to change. And hey, listen, this is a problem in your life. Maybe it's a sermon where pastor's preaching categorically, but boy, you know, that's directly affecting me and, and I'm out of line in that area of Scripture. Maybe it's a brother or sister that pulls you to the side and uh, addresses an issue with you and, and is talking to you about it, but you neglect and you push away because of pride. And if those measures don't work, You've neglected the Word of God. You've neglected the Holy Spirit's promptings. You've neglected a brother or sister or a pastor who's trying to tell you directly, well, then God's last step in order to get your attention is He removes His peace out of your life. He just takes that peace out of your heart, and now, all of a sudden, there is no peace. And here in Isaiah 57, we find those who have peace, and we have, find those who have no peace. Let's jump into the outline tonight and let's see how these truths not only apply to the Israelites way back um, uh, 2,700 years ago, but they also apply to you and I today. Number one, first notice, notice the death of the righteous. The death of the righteous. Look back with me at verses 1 and 2. Notice what the Bible says there. It says, The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. So you have a righteous remnant in Israel that's aging. They're getting older and as they get older, their voice gets weaker. And uh, as uh, as is the case, oftentimes, uh, the people who are the work engines of a country or of a church or of a culture, they move from their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s up into their 70s and 80s and 90s. And now, all of a sudden, they're not the engine driving the nation or the family or the church anymore. They're the elder statesmen. And now, all of a sudden, they're older and they're 
their voice has grown quiet and no one seems to care about them and all of a sudden they're pushed to the side and they're just about forgotten and their experience and uh, their wisdom is left untapped. And here uh, the Bible talks about the righteous are perishing, meaning they're dying one at a time. I enjoy every year when we get to Veterans Day and uh, they show a clip of a World War II vet going back to Normandy Beach. And uh, we're getting down to just the last handful of World War II veterans left in our country. And uh, as they are getting older, they're perishing from the earth. They're beginning to die. And here the Bible says that there has come up a generation in Israel behind the righteous that are uh, that are wicked and they don't care about the righteous. And here the righteous are perishing, but no one cares. The merciful men are uh, dying and no one is considering uh, what they have to say or what they think. But as the righteous perish and the wicked come into power, evil is beginning to come in with the wicked, but the righteous man will die in peace on their beds. Psalm chapter 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. And uh, you and I, when someone dies, we we uh, mourn that. And those are times of great sorrow. But in heaven, when a saint dies, there is no sorrow because they're leaving and coming home. God sees it as them coming home and He gets to be with them. And I have stood in this auditorium behind this pulpit many times now with weeping and grieving souls of those who've lost a loved one who went on to heaven and I have told them, listen, we we weep because they're not with us anymore, but there is a party going on in heaven because a saint has finally gone home to be with the Lord. I think about our um, our parents sending their kids off to college right now and you'll be separated from them. There will be miles between you and them and maybe you won't see them until Thanksgiving or Christmas and then they come home for Christmas and how excited you are that they're there. You don't care about those who are sad that they're no longer at college campus. You care how happy you are that they're home. And when you uh, uh, get home to heaven, God, uh, while He does care about those that are sad here, He's that much more excited that they're home. Precious in the sight of the Lord of the death of His saints. Go uh, uh, with me to Joshua chapter 24 and look with me at verse number 15. And we see this Isaiah 57 uh, story playing out right before us where the righteous are perishing. Their, their generation is passing off the scene. They're dying. And, and the merciful man is ceasing from the earth and no one cares. Uh, no uh, Evil is sweeping in behind and the righteous rests in their bed. The righteous go on into eternity uh, in their peace, but the wicked don't care about pulling down that wisdom from the last generation. Look with me at Joshua 24 and we find Joshua, the old man, uh, challenging the Israelites. Look at verse 15. It says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Joshua says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua's getting ready to die. He calls all of Israel together and he gets up on an elevated plane. He gives them one last challenge. He gives them one last speech. And verse 15 is the climax of that speech where he 
says, hey Israel, make a choice. Are you going to serve the world in sin? Are you going to serve idols? Or are you going to serve the God of heaven? Look down with me at, uh, or rather turn over just a couple of pages to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, and we see how that this transition happened from the righteous into the wicked. And I believe that if we're not careful, this transition very well can happen in our country if it isn't already happened. Look at Judges 2. Judges 2, look at verse 6. The Bible says, And when Joshua had let the people go, that's from the speech he gave in 24. When Joshua let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, Harris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. Look at verse 10, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And what did this generation that knew not the Lord nor the, the nor their, the Lord of their fathers, what did they do? The Bible tells us that every man did that which was right in their own eyes. And you get some of the weirdest stories in the Bible, in the book of Judges. In fact, the book of Judges ends with a civil war between Benjamin and the other tribes because Benjamin had allowed uh, the raping of a woman right there till the woman had died. She had been raped so many times that she had died right there and there was no repentance or turning over of the men that had done it. And so a civil war broke out in the nation. Why? Because they turned from doing right. There rose up a generation who knew not the Lord. Now hear what I'm about to say, church. There's two elements to this right here. And the first element is that we need parents who will take godly principles and teach them to their children so that when their children raise up, they'll take their godly principles and they'll teach them to their children and then they'll take their godly principles and teach them to their children. Here is my goal. I'm going to tell you my goal as a parent tonight. My goal for Angela and I as parents is that when we're long dead and gone and my great-great-grandchildren are walking this earth who will not know my name, will not know anything about me, will not care about my name, they'll still be doing right and going to church and loving God because a long time ago, Tim and Sherry Lejeune raised Richard Lejeune uh, to do right. And Richard and Angela Lejeune raised Matthew and April Lejeune to do right. And Matthew and April Lejeune will raise their kids to do right. And they'll raise their kids to do right. And they'll raise their kids to do right. Listen, it's not just enough to teach your kids how to do right. You have to teach them how to train their children to do right. And so we need to be busy handing down the baton of righteousness generation after generation after generation. And so you have the element of the parents, but then you have the element of the children. How sad this is that these righteous folks are passing on and we're not tapping in to that wisdom. One of my favorite things to do is to go and sit with some of the senior senior sisters or senior saints or some of the elderly statesmen of our church and get wisdom from them about the lives 
they lived. Uh, Mike Yankowski sits back here. He's 183 years old. And I love Mike. And uh, I, I asked him about his relationship with Noah back in the day. And when Noah came off the ark. And uh, so uh, Noah, Mike and I are good friends. You know what? I love to talk to Mike. And I love to hear Mike's wisdom about what God has done in his life. And how God has blessed them. I remember when I first got here, Tony Guglielmo was still in the church. I got to preach Tony's funeral. What a godly man. What a righteous man. And before Tony passed, he and I had many lengthy conversations. And Tony shared with me truths of Scripture and insights about life. And I look at our Maxine McGeehees and our Joan Syrets. And I remember Miss Myrtle Valerie. And uh, even the Garcia is no longer part of our church, but still in the area. And the wisdom that comes from these people. Hey, let's not let that wisdom go to waste. Let's make sure that we're gleaning from that. Uh, in the New Testament, we're told that the elder women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and how to dress and live a modest lifestyle. And uh, if you're a younger lady here, you should be looking to the older ladies to get that wisdom and that advice. The death of the righteous, number two, notice the deeds of of the wicked, the deeds of the wicked. And so we see here the ushering out of the righteous and the ushering in of the wicked. And by the way, a, a righteous nation is only one generation away from being extinct. One generation away from being extinct. Let me speak to all the people my age and under, the, the th- 30s and downs. We have our work cut out for us. We need to be faithful to church. We need to be faithful to the Word. We need to be faithful in prayer. We need to be faithful in holy living. We need to be mature in the Lord because we have a generation behind us and if we don't do our part to be righteous and do righteous and, and, and promote the Lord and, 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 and do what's right and hold the truth and not be swayed by the culture or impressed by the culture or changed by the culture, then my friend will turn around and we'll be a nation that is wicked. And let's not let that happen. We have our work cut out for us. The deeds of the wicked, the righteous, had perished. They had gone on to glory. They had rested in their bed in peace. And now the wickedness had swept in the nation right before their captivity. Letter A, we see their ancestors. Look with me at verse number 3. Verse number 3. Isaiah says, But draw near hither, ye sons of the sorceress, the seeds of the adulterer and the whore. These children were born to those uh, practicing witchcraft, women practicing witchcraft, and women who were involved in extramarital affairs, and women who were prostitutes, uh, women of the night. And here you have all of these children often uh, born in illegitimate uh, 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 relationships. And now they're raising up and they're becoming those of power. I look at our country and I'll tell you what I see. I see a bunch of children who were born out of a time of the peace 
love and free hippie movement where you have two people having babies that don't even hardly know each other, hardly even like each other, and then would eventually hate each other. And uh, they grow up and then they have babies and uh, same type of thing. We went from uh, living in marriages that we didn't like to not even getting married to look at what we're dealing with today, the mess on our hands. And so you have people who were born and raised in brokenness and that's now the wickedness that's coming in is you have people born in these wicked, wicked setups. Letter A, their ancestors. Letter B, notice their attitude. Look down at verse number 4 with me. We see their attitude. Against whom do ye sport yourselves? This is mockery. Against whom make ye a wide mouth and draw out of transgression a seed of falsehood? When I get around people who are wicked, the very first sign of their wickedness is just how they flaunt their entire lifestyle against the God of heaven. It's, it's the way they dress. It's the way they carry themselves. It's how they pierce and tattoo their body from head to toe. And please don't think that I'm trying to nitpick on the edges of Christianity. I'm not talking about a little tattoo that maybe you get under, you know, uh, under, you know, on your shoulder. I'm talking about the total tattooing, the defrauding of the body and, uh, the, the, the piercing yourself as many ways as possible so as to defraud the canvas that, uh, of flesh that God has given us. I'm talking about the language that just comes pouring out of the mouth. Have you ever stopped and asked why no one says, Oh my Buddha, or Oh my Allah, or, or Oh my Confucius? Uh, they never uh, take shots at other deity or other claims at deity. They always use the name of the God of heaven. And, and why is it that we don't say, Oh my, insert your mother's first name? No, we use the name of God. Here's why. Because there is power in the name of God. And there's power in the name of heaven. And people are throwing that a name around in blasphemy to blaspheme the name of God because there is a spirit of mockery toward the God of heaven. There is a spirit of debauchery. Their, their attitude. They, they flaunt an attitude that is hateful uh, toward God. Turn over to the book of Jude with me and look at verse number 17. Jude is the second to last book of the Bible. Turn to Revelation. It's a very short book. It only has one chapter in it. So look at Jude and look at the 17th verse. And here we're told how people will behave in the end times. And Jude verse 17, 18, and 19. Look there with me. I'm trying to keep talking to give you time to get over there. Jude and verse number 17. For sake of time, I'm going to begin reading. It says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So notice they're mocking the Lord. Notice here that they're, uh, they're walking in their own ungodly lust. Notice that they separate themselves from right and into wrong. They're sensual 
in their natures. We see the deeds of the wicked, their ancestors. There's a lineage of wickedness. Their, their attitude, they mock what's right. They belittle what's right. They flaunt it in uh, their outward actions. Letter C, we see their actions. Uh, their actions. Letter C, not only their uh, ancestors and their attitude, but letter C, we see their actions. Go back with me to Isaiah 57. And let's read from 5 down through 9. Then I'm going to point some things out here to you in these verses. It says here, Inflaming yourselves with idols under every green tree. Slaying the children in the valleys under the cliffs of the rocks. So they would give birth to babies and then they would kill their babies, their infant babies. Uh, I'm going to be going to Israel, Lord willing, in November. And so I've been watching some archaeological uh, educational videos on archaeological digs around that area. And uh, one particular uh, channel I've come across and and just preparing for my trip to the Holy Land uh, talks about a a shrine they dug up in uh, the land of Canaan. And they found one of these... Uh, one of these places where they offered up babies to the god of Molech and they found severed heads of children and where children had been sawn asunder in two uh, just to cut along the vertebrae there and their bodies burned and their bones put in jars and buried around this shrine. And here the Bible is saying... This is what wickedness leads to. It leads to the slaughter of children. You say, Pastor Lejeune, is that going on today? Sadly, it is. And just to be very clear here, the men in our culture are just as guilty of this as the women of our culture. In fact, sometimes the men of our culture are more guilty of this because they pressure and push a woman into an abortion clinic so they can avoid their own responsibility that they created. Hear what I'm about to say right now. Sex has never been free. It's never been free. There's always a cost when you climb in bed with someone else. There is an emotional cost. There is a physical cost. And when you get wrapped up in that, my friend, there is a cost. And so in order to worship uh, this uh, false god of, of, of sexuality, they're, 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 they're worshiping false idols. They're slaughtering their babies. Look back with me at, uh, let's see here, look back with me at verse number uh, 6. Among the smooth stones of the stream is there thy portion. They are thy lot. Even to them hast thou Poured a drink offering, thou hast offered a meat offering, should I receive comfort in these? So they've taken rocks out of the river that were made smooth, and they've shaped them, formed them into false idols to bow down and worship. Upon a lofty and high mountain thou hast set thy bed, even thither wentest thou up to sacrifice. So all of these shrines and temples of, of, of paganism and idolatry on high mountains and valleys out of the riverbed. Verse 8, behind the doors also and the post hast thou set up thy remembrance for thou hast discovered thyself. 
to another for me and art gone up. And so there's lewd sexual acts being taken place behind doors and, and in private areas. And for thou hast discovered thyself to another uh, than me and art gone up. Thou hast enlarged thy bed and made thee a covenant with them. Thou lovest their bed where thou, where thou sawest it. And thou wentest to the king with ointment and didst increase thy perfumes and didst set thy messengers Far off. Look at the last phrase here. And it's debase thyself even unto hell. What was? What were these people's problems? Well, they uh, Israel had fallen in the trap of being idolatrous. And I, this is a heavy passage. I, I'm not going to try to skirt the passage. We're, we're we're putting the emphasis where God's word puts the emphasis. And when we go verse by verse, we're going to be, be true to the passage here. And, and not to be mean, but Isaiah here is being very direct with the people. You're wrapped up in idolatry. You're wrapped up in worshiping uh, things that are that are uh, uh, false idols. And you're creating your own gods and you're bowing down to them. And this is causing you to behave in ways that are lewd and inappropriate. You've brought in your bed, meaning you're sleeping with people you shouldn't be sleeping with. And that you're taking babies as a result and you're offering them up and you're killing them. And, and on top of that, you're involved in covetousness. In fact, look over with me at, uh, let's see here, verse number 17. Verse Verse number 17, the Bible says, For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth, and smote him. I hid me and was wroth, and he went on forwardly in the way of his heart. So we have idolatry, we have murder, we have covetousness. Turn over with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 5. Now, when I preach on idolatry, I'll make this point often. I don't expect to come in your home and find some shrine in your bedroom that you bow down to. Now, that does still happen. There are people that do that, but it's not very common. And and I'd be surprised to come into any of your homes and find a shrine in your bedroom that you get down on your knees and bow down to a, a stone of idol. But while we don't have that problem today, we still do have a problem with idolatry. You may not be bowing down to a false god, But anything that has its place above God of heaven has become an idol in your life. Look at Colossians 3 and look at verse number 5. The Bible says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Here we find the same problems Isaiah was dealing with, except this is to the Gentiles and the church of Colossae. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. Look at this next one. And covetousness, which is idolatry. So for us, covetousness is idolatry. Now I know this feels like I'm beating a dead horse at this point because we're preaching on covetousness on Sunday mornings in our series of dealing with debt. And I've dealt with that a lot of, of, of having to have that which we can't afford and swiping a American Express to pay for it or a visa to pay, paying with someone else's money because I have to have this. And, but listen, uh, when you put anything in your life ahead of God, that becomes an idol. We've all dealt with this, haven't we? We've all, how many of you here like me have ever put money ahead of God? How many of you here like me have ever put sports ahead of God. 
How many of you here, like me, have put a car or a house or a material item ahead of God? How many of you here, like me, have made the mistake of being more infatuated with something or even someone ahead of God? I know when I first got married, my wife, uh, really, I was more in love with her than I was with the Lord. And it took me a little while to get my priorities right there because we want God to be number one above all. And so here we must make sure that our deeds are not wicked. And so letter D, lastly, we, first we saw their ancestors and their attitude and their actions. Letter D, notice their abasement. Now the Lord's going to come in and He's going to punish them for their behaviors. Look with me at verse number 10. The Bible says, Thou art wearied in the greatness of thy way. Now this is fascinating to me. The beginning of the verse says, that they're wearied. So their wicked behavior is causing them a lack of peace. They're fatigued. They're wearied in the way. Yet saidest thou not, there is no hope. Thou hast found the life of thine hand, therefore thou wast not grieved. So they're wearied, but they're not grieved. You see that? You see that? They're wearied, but they're not grieved. Why? Because instead of, in their weariness, repenting and turning to the Lord, no, they look down at their own hand and say, I'm going to keep moving forward. And as a result, they are living in their wickedness. Their weariness is not causing them to turn. Now, I mentioned that maybe God's last step of getting your attention is removing His peace from your heart. Are you all listening tonight? He removes His peace from your heart. If you're at a place right now where God has removed His peace from your heart, you get two choices. You can look down at the flesh of your hand and you can keep moving forward in your sin, or you can repent from your sin and get things right with God and let Him put His peace back in your heart. Now, here they're wearied, but they're not grieved. Look at verse 11. And of whom hast thou been afraid or feared? That thou hast lied and hast not remembered me, nor laid it to thy heart. Have not I held my peace even of old? And thou fearest me not. The Lord says, I've showed great restraint in just pouring down my wrath on you. And uh, you don't even care. You still don't fear me. Verse 12, I will declare thy righteousness and thy works. For they shall not profit thee. When thou criest, let thy companies deliver thee. But the wind shall carry them all away. Vanity shall take thee. It shall take them. But he that putteth their trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Look at verse 14. And shall say, Cast ye up, cast ye up, repair the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. So here we see that they're leaning on their own self-righteousness. Here we see that they're leaning on their own works, yet there's no repentance. We're going to wrap things up in about five minutes here. We're almost done, but I would like you to turn over to Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20 and verse number 11. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11. Here we find people who will stand before the Lord and they'll be judged before they're thrown into hell. Now we know, according to Matthew chapter 24 and 25, that these same people are going to say, uh, I, I cast out demons in your name. I did all these works in your name. And what's the Lord going to say? He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And He's going to say this, I never knew you. I never knew you. Now, um, I find it interesting that when I'm out soul winning, 
And Brother Manny, I say to someone, why do you think God would let you into heaven? You know what they tell me? Because I'm a good person. You know what they're saying? I want to be judged at the gate of eternity on my own merit and my good works. Well, guess what? The lost are going to be judged on their merit at the gate of heaven and their good works. Look at Revelation 20. Look at verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books. Look here. According to their works. If you think you're getting into heaven because you're a good person, well, you're going to be judged by your works one day. 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And let me just say tonight that if you are a person of wickedness and wicked behavior, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. It says we're all turned out of the way. It says we're all sinners, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To be wicked or have done wickedness, to be the son of a sorceress or an adulteress or a whore, as verse 3 of our uh, principal text says, is not the problem. The problem is now that you are weary in the way, are you going to look at your own flesh and continue to move forward in wickedness? Or are you going to look to heaven and say, I have done wrong? And here's the truth. If you don't humble yourself before God, you're going to be humiliated in utter punishment. Punishment for all of eternity. Number three, we see the deliverance of the repentant. The deliverance of the repentant. Go back to our text in Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57 and look with me at uh, verse 15. We see letter A, God desires humility and contriteness. Contriteness. Look at 15. Isaiah 57, look at 15. The Bible says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also, look here, that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to receive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite once. The Lord desires humility and He desires a contrite heart. Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. I'm grateful for each person who gets to a place in their life when they're weary in the way, instead of doubling down in their sin and their wickedness and justifying through a sense of self-righteousness, instead they break down and they mourn over their sin. God wants us to be broken over the wickedness of our heart and turn to Him for salvation. Consider James chapter 4. In fact, turn over to James chapter 4 here this evening. We're going to, uh, we're going to uh, rush through this quickly here and I'll let you dive deeper in the passage uh, on your own. James 4 verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. That's where it begins. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Look at verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. There's that humble and contrite heart the Lord wants. Let your laughter be turned to mourning 
and your joy to heaviness. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Who does the Lord deliver? He delivers the repentant. He delivers the one that is contrite in their heart toward their sin. Instead of gloating in their wickedness, instead of gloating in their sin, they instead are humble. They're contrite. Letter B, we see God offers revival and comfort. God offers revival and comfort. Go with me to back to our principal text, Isaiah 57. Look at verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Look here. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever. I will not be battling forever. Neither will I be always wroth. For the spirit shall fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. I hid me and was wroth and he went on forwardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips Peace, peace to him that is far off. And to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. Here's how this works. When you walk in wickedness, you have no peace. When you turn to the Lord and you repent of your sin and you give the Lord a contrite heart, He takes away your unrest. He takes away uh, your discomfort and He gives you revival and He gives you Comfort. I can't help but think of Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What happens when we turn from our sin? God takes away our unrest and He gives us rest. He takes away our unrest and He gives us peace. Number four, we see the discord of the wicked. We're just going to read 20 and 21. I'll let you look at Galatians 5 on your own. Let's finish here. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Verse 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Is there peace in your heart tonight? Where there is God, there is peace. Where there is no God, there is no peace. Someone coined it this way, No God, no peace. No God, no peace. When we walk in wickedness, the Lord removes that peace out of our heart. But when we walk with God, we're promised the fruit of the spirits of love, joy, and peace. May we walk in righteousness and know His peace. I'd say this tonight. Here's the, here's the punch to your heart tonight. Here it is, and I'm done. Is there pride ruling in your heart? Do you have a me-first, me-centric attitude? Because that drives us into wickedness. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Let's stand together tonight. Glad you came out for our Bible study. That gets us through the chapter 57. I did it. We went a little over, but we won't 
Uh, we'll move into chapter 58 next week, all right? Let's ask God to bless us and give us a heart of peace this week. And may we know His rest. May we know His peace.